This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Friday, October 1st. Coming up, an iconic artifact that witnessed some of the wildest moments in Kansas City's music history is making a comeback. So I walk over and I lift up a corner and it's like, holy, holy cow, I mean, what is this? The story behind the El Torreon mirror ball. Plus, how Kansas City is trying to house hundreds of people before the weather gets cold. But first, some headlines. The Missouri Supreme Court has barred all of the judges on the Jackson County Circuit Court from presiding over the case of Kevin Strickland. Strickland has served 43 years in prison for a triple murder Jackson County prosecutors now say he didn't commit. The Supreme Court said that while the judge who had been presiding over the case had not displayed any bias, it wanted to avoid even the appearance of bias. The court assigned retired Missouri Court of Appeals Judge James Welsh to hear the case. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt had asked the Supreme Court to recuse all of the Jackson County judges on the grounds that the presiding judge had prejudged the case by saying that Strickland was innocent. It's not known if a hearing set for next week on whether Strickland should be freed from prison will now go on as scheduled. A piece of public art stolen from the Spencer Museum at the University of Kansas is now in the hands of law enforcement. The work, made of five signs and called Native Hosts by artist Edgar Heap of Birds, was vandalized earlier this month. Museum staffers were preparing to install four new replacement signs when the fifth sign was stolen. Director Sarah Lynn Reese Hardy says they're committed to reinstalling the work with added security. The resolve of the museum and of the university is the importance of displaying public art with power and with intention. The signs include names of native tribes from the region now called Kansas. Colonial names are printed backwards and the names of the original occupants are printed forwards. A public conversation will be scheduled to talk about the vandalism and theft of the artwork and its impact on the community. As the weather gets colder, people who are homeless will no longer be able to stay outside. Kansas City is looking for solutions to that problem, but it's a challenge to meet the needs of hundreds of people who might need food, clothing, and medical care on top of shelter. Jody Fortino has been reporting on the issue, and she joins me now. Hi, Jody. Hello, Numeen. So what is the issue with people staying outside? Why can't they keep doing that? Essentially, it's freezing. Um, and we saw the effects of this last winter when it got really cold to the point that we saw a couple of homeless people actually die because of the temperatures and the exposure to the weather. Um, on top of that, I talked to Laura Remy. She's the treasurer of the Independence Plaza um, Neighborhood Association, and that's up in the Northeast. And they kind of have this unique situation where there's not too many actual homeless camps out there where a lot of people are kind of exposed to the elements. They have a lot of people heading inside these vacant buildings and houses and lighting fires to keep themselves warm, which creates its own set of issues. The, uh, the, we've had two fires that have caused injury. One resulted in death of a homeless person, and the other resulted in uh, injury to three people that had to go to the hospital. So, you know, it's a real situation, a real safety situation in our neighborhood when unhomed persons seek shelter in our structures, in our vacated structures. So are they 
lighting fires to keep warm now, even though the weather hasn't been that cold? Or is this just something that happens mostly in the colder months? It happens throughout the year because even keeping warm at night or even cooking really is something they will do in those buildings. Um, But it becomes increasingly a problem, especially in the winter, just because you're going to be needing to do it on a daily basis at that point or all day, really. So what do homeless people in Kansas City say that they need? Well, interestingly enough, one member of the Kansas City Homeless Union spoke at one of these meetings in which the city was seeking solutions. And he presented this, you know, idea that I think a lot of us weren't expecting to hear, which is that he would prefer to shelter outdoors. And so would many of the people that he camps with. A lot of them feel like they are actually safer outside of these shelters that the city's putting on. They're less crowded and they're with people that they have already formed kind of this community bond with. So what he was asking for instead is, you know, access to basic supplies like porta potties, a lot more blankets, maybe even heaters. He said that they actually got some heaters from the public when they were staying on the steps of City Hall last year. So, you know, that was kind of a unique thing because I think a lot of the ways we're going about it in the city's thinking is, you know, warming centers or existing shelters. But there's different perspectives that we might need to check in with the homeless population and see what they really need. What does shelter for unhoused people look like in Kansas City right now? You know, obviously the existing shelters that we have here in Kansas City, but we are seeing a lot of encampments kind of take place across the city. I think a lot of people supplied the homeless population with these tents. So we're seeing, you know, these 30, 40 collections and communities across the city in these encampment communities. And, you know, that again presents this concern with where are we going to put all these people in a couple of weeks that have been living outdoors and it just might not be safe for them to continue doing so. So how is the city looking to increase its shelters? So what they're really looking into right now, and as of the last month, they've been taking proposals or requests for proposals, and they are looking to take vacant buildings or abandoned buildings in Kansas City or ones are just unused. So, for example, hotels, old schools, old apartment buildings, you know, we've got just, you know, look around Kansas City, we've got a lot of buildings like that, and reusing them and refurbishing them into more permanent housing solutions for the homeless population. And so far, as of that meeting, they had had 19 applicants. So they're looking at that. But, you know, they're also kind of trying to look for things more in the short term, because again, we only have a couple of weeks here before it gets real cold. So what's next for this issue? What is the city planning to do? Well, they had that last brainstorming session. Melissa Robinson, councilwoman, put that on for members of the 3rd District because a lot of them were coming to her with these concerns. So she said this emergency meeting where people could kind of brainstorm solutions for the city about what to do. And whilst it was good to kind of have this opportunity to talk, some people felt like that wasn't coming soon enough. That includes Laura Remy, who I talked about earlier. It's September. You know, last year was scary. There were people out in below freezing temperatures and the city scrambled to find them shelter. So it was somewhat surprising that we're not further along. The city was essentially looking for solutions and, you know, people offered a variety of them. A lot of people want to hear from existing service providers and see where they're at. A lot of them had to take down their capacity during COVID and we might not need to be getting that capacity back up for the winter. Other things included wanting more resources or like a centralized resource for when they are in this winter and they see people on the streets, you know, what can they do to help them? You know, what should they be doing? And the city could provide them with those resources. They also 
wanted to provide a forum for homeless people to kind of voice what they want to see for themselves coming into this winter. So the city and the houseless task force went ahead and took that list and they're going to kind of review what's realistic, what can we accomplish in the next, I think 30 to 40 days was kind of the guidelines they put, you know, and see what's possible and relay that this Monday. I, I want to say that's it. a lot of the people I talked to were just like concerned neighborhood community members um, who, again, are seeing these people on a daily basis. So they are concerned both about their safety and also the safety of their neighborhood, because once again, when they go into these abandoned houses, you know, they also don't have access to plumbing, working plumbing or working water. Um, which creates hygiene issues for both themselves, but also people living on adjoining properties next to them. So I think it's just this very, you know, issue in which a lot of people are kind of relying on each other and, you know, looking for solutions. But again, it's complicated. It's a lot of people and we've got to do it very quickly and it'll take a bit of money. Jody Fortino is a reporter for KCUR. Thanks, Jody. Thanks for having me. We'll be back after this message from our supporters. At UMB Private Wealth Management, a division of UMB Bank, UMB always puts your interests first. UMB's registered advisors are fiduciaries, so that means they are legally and ethically required to only recommend investments that are the best fit for your individual circumstances. UMB provides one-on-one -on -one guidance to help you make savvy financial choices on your wealth building journey. Tap into high-touch financial planning services so you can earn, grow, and create the life you want. Learn more at umb.com slash wealth hyphen management. Don't forget to subscribe to The Early Bird, the daily news email from KCUR. Get news from Kansas City to Washington, D.C. delivered to your inbox every weekday at 6 a.m. Be in the know before you even get out of bed. The Early Bird. Subscribe at kcur.org slash newsletters. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Like a fly on the wall, there's an artifact at the newly renovated Kansas City Museum that has witnessed some of the wildest times in Kansas City's music history. And while the iconic mirror ball, not disco ball, can't talk, it's about to shine again. KCUR's Suzanne Hogan tells this story. When the El Torreon Ballroom at 31st and Gillum opened up in December of 1927, it was the debut of the three-foot-tall mirror ball. It hung from the ceiling, illuminating the dance floor below. It was a party. During the 1920s, the nation became dance-crazy as morals changed and skirts came up and young people were, were permitted to dance in public. Chuck Haddix is a music historian and writer who also hosts the KCUR radio show, The Fish Fry. He says the El Torreon was a popular spot back in the day where young people met and danced. It was cheaper than the other ballrooms and had a romantic vibe. There was even a machine that projected clouds and stars across the ceiling. And the big crystal ball presided over the nightly festivities from the, from the, from the day it opened. Made out of plaster, the mirror ball was almost 10 feet around, covered in circle mirrors with green, orange, and blue strips of glass. It hung above the big acts of the day, like Cab Calloway. 
But by 1935, because of the Depression, the Altorion Ballroom closed and was converted into a roller skating rink, a spot Chuck Haddix remembers visiting when he was a kid. It was a magnificent place, great roller rink floor. And it remained until 1970, and then in 1971, it became Cowtown Ballroom. In the 1970s, the Cowtown Ballroom was the center of rock and roll life in Kansas City. There was no seating, no air conditioning. It was hot and wild. Here's a clip from the documentary made all about it called Sweet Jesus. We're coming to you live tonight from Cowtown Ballroom if you join in the middle of this. They say if you remember the 70s, you wasn't there. <laughs> It was around for only three years, but the list of bands that played there was epic and wide-ranging. Frank Zappa, Danny Cox, Linda Ronstadt, Ravi Shankar, Alice Cooper, Canned Heat, Van Morrison. They would do benefits for Kansas City Free Health Clinic. Uh, they did dollar concerts. The symphony played there. B.B. King played there. It's amazing just the, the variety of the bands that played there. And through the rock and roll haze, the mirror ball was there hanging out above. But its story shifted when Cowtown Ballroom closed. The ball was taken down and donated to the Kansas City Museum, where it was placed in storage. So I walk over and I lift up a corner and it's like, holy, holy cow, I mean, what is this? Lisa Shockley has been working on and off with the Kansas City Museum for years. And recently, she's been working long hours to prepare the mirror ball and all the other artifacts that will be on display when the Kansas City Museum reopens later this month. Paul Gutierrez, the programming director, hopes the mirror ball will be a point of inspiration for visitors of all ages. How huge it is in diameter, how glittery. It's not called a disco ball, which I was corrected. So the mirror ball, it's eye-catching. And then all the stories behind it. Chuck Haddock says it's a miracle that this cultural touchstone, this mirror ball, survived all these years. And he's thrilled to hear that it will hang again and shine in its new home. Artifacts like the ball connect us to a place in time in our lives, in our history. And I think that's why it sparks such uh, intense emotion in people. They're saying, oh, I remember that. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Suzanne Hogan. Because of the pandemic, the Kansas City Museum is requiring reservations for when its Corinthian Hall reopens later this month. For more information, visit the museum's website, kansascitymuseum.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news coverage, you can tune into Kansas City's NPR station at 89.3 FM or listen to our live stream at kcur.org. On Monday, we'll take a look at the foster care system in Kansas, where LGBTQ kids have no guarantee they'll be placed in a home that accepts their identities. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.